This is gonna hurt. It's time, it's time for the Suffering, for the suffering Podcast. podcast. When an adversary stands in front of us, it's easy to prepare for a fight. Whether that fight is physical, verbal, or emotional, we can brace ourselves for the stormy seas that lie ahead, sizing our opponents up, and making sure that we have the tools that we need that gives us the best chance for victory. How can we create a battle plan for an invisible enemy? We don't know how big they are, we certainly don't know how many are in their army, and we don't know how to attack. All we can do is prepare the best that we know how and hope that it's good enough. One weapon that should be the first in our arsenal is hope. Without hope, there is no need to fight. Without hope, you have lost the war before it even began. I'm Kevin Donaldson here with Mike Felice, and welcome to The Suffering Podcast. If you're a fan of overcoming adversity and overcoming suffering, then we're for you. Because that's what we do here, and that's the stories that we highlight. So do me a favor. Hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, please comment, and now you can join. Don't forget to ring the bell so you can get notified of all of our new content, and also follow us on all social media so you can find out what we're up to. On tonight's episode of The Suffering Podcast, we welcome Karen Rosado to discuss the suffering of lymphoma. Sort of just gives it away off the bat. Yeah, but that's the first time someone with a vowel at the end of their name, you got it right, right away. I mean, that's because it's not not Italian. Italian. I know. That's the problem. But what you're going to find is sitting in front of me is a warrior who was hit with an unseen battle, but is ready to go on the attack. Before we get into anything, let's throw a big shout out to our marquee sponsor. That's Toyota of Hackensack. We don't trust anybody as police, but we do trust them. So go to toyotahackensack.com and let them find you a car. So, Karen, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know you watched a couple of our shows, and we try to and, take- and thank you for still coming in after watching our shows. <laughs> uh, we take a question from our audience every week. This week's social media question comes from Aries Peace. It says, how has your views of your adversaries changed? Over time, you know, you, you get stuck in a moment with enemies, and over time, it either elevates or it sort of the volume gets turned down on it. So how is have any enemies that you've had in the past, how have your how has your views changed? I think more that it's it really comes from any like any angle, right? You don't think that sometimes your loved ones can become your enemies. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like they become your biggest enemy. Yeah. yeah. You got that right. Yeah. And sometimes like you gotta take a step back. Like you know it comes from care or love, but sometimes it's just no, they just don't want you to move up in life. They don't want you to grow. They want you to stay stagnant where they are. So that's kind of like, I think the hardest part when it comes to um, enemies. But like you said, it, it grows and it decreases over time. So I think through what I've been with, I've seen a lot more enemies and in places I've never thought that I would be fighting against. You know, and sometimes, sometimes the enemy got to look inside you too. Like, what am I fighting myself against? Sometimes we're our own worst enemies, you know, if you want to, we're our own worst adversaries. Mike, what do you think? You know, I, whether it's time heals old wounds, I don't know, but yeah, I'm 57 years old. I don't have much time to hate people anymore. Can you give me a time so I can, so I can figure that out? We'll we'll have to call uh, Heather Campbell. She'll know. She'll know. She'll know. She'll know when I'm going to (laughs) die. No, it's just, I mean, we've been through so much. It's, it's. It's menial bullshit now. You know, I, I really don't care. Yeah. You don't like me, don't like me. I'll still get along with you. Yeah. I, I think I as I, you grow. As you, yeah, exactly. You kind of, you kind of just learn to kind of ignore them or sometimes try and send them, try and send them love and light. 
which is it's hard. It's a lot of practice. I just let it roll off my back now. It's like, you know, so what? Well, you've seen that with Mike De Palma, okay? Mike De Palma, he's been on our show numerous times. And, you know, we at one time we were very, the three of us were very, very tight. Mike and I sort of got into it and we didn't talk for six months. Uh, it's not that I, I, I saw him as an enemy or an adversary, but we just didn't talk. And it really bothered me. And as time moves on, it, it was a short duration. It wasn't anything long. But as time moved on, I thought to myself, how stupid is this? Exactly. This is, and I miss my friend. Yeah. You know, but my answer, I, I've, I've talked about this on the show. The, the guy who, who shot at me, um, I'll say his name openly because I actually want him to contact me. His name's Anthony Vocatoro. Um, he, he shot at police officers multiple times, shot at me and, and kind of put my life into a downward spiral. And for a long time, I hated him because I thought he, he really destroyed my life until I was able, and I'm talking probably seven, eight years after the incident, I started thinking, I'm like, well, and I think it was when we were doing this show, I started thinking, what did that guy have to go through in order to get to that level to shoot mm-hmm. at police officers. He wasn't shooting at Kevin Donaldson. That was, that was something I accepted. He wasn't shooting at Kevin Donaldson. He was shooting at police officers and what was going on in his life where he got to the depths where obviously he didn't want to live anymore. Um, he's shooting at people with guns, <laughs> but I, I have a bright idea. <laughs> I, I got to be honest with you. When I finally got to the point where I forgave him, the weight off of my shoulders was so profound and enormous that I was, I felt free because he didn't have any more power over me. Mm-hmm. So my view has changed vastly over somebody who changed my life vastly. Right. And, he, and it was a, it was a good thing. It, yeah. You know, believe it or not, getting shot at was a good thing. I'm here with <laughs> my best friend and we get to do this show every single week. We get to talk to great people like you. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? So, Aries, thank you so much for sending that one in. Keep sending in your questions, and we will try to get them on the air. We are very appreciative of all the questions that you send in. So, Karen, uh, you were introduced to me through a friend of the show, our friend Rory, who is actually in the control room right now. Unfortunately, he's stuck in there with Drew. (laughs) (laughs) Drew ate tacos, too, and I feel really bad for you. Um, I brought empanadas in again. (laughs) (laughs) But Karen was so gracious, and you brought in – you did the Italian move, even though you're not Italian. Yeah. You brought in food, which, you know, it's always the way to somebody's heart. Yeah. I am Puerto Rican. The culture is a little bit similar. Well, we – so Andrew makes us bring in a certain amount of Puerto Ricans every every month. We reach our quota. Yeah, we got to hit a quota. But I've I've spoken to you numerous times. You have this wonderful outlook on life in the face of true adversity – why don't you give our audience a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm 34, I think. I think I'm 34. <laughs> around 40, there. Don't do the math. Yes, yeah, around, around there. there. After 40, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So um, I've been a paramedic for over a little over 10 years. Um, I'm a baker. I love to bake. I like to do a lot of crafts as like my side hobbies. And um, yeah, I just love spending a lot of time with people I care about, with my friends. It's like a big part of of me just being surrounded by a lot of positive people and, and uh, family. Well, I, I saw some of the things online about some of the crafts you create. What is it about creating crafts that gives you, cause it seems like uh, it gives you a little bit of peace. Yeah. I was going to say peace of mind. Yeah. 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 A lot of people when it comes to craft, they don't have the patience for it. Um, but it, it does. It, it, it's something about figuring out like, like a puzzle almost. Right. So it just gives me a lot of, 
piece. Like you said, like there's crafts that I've taught myself. If anybody is in the cricket world, like that's kind of what I've been doing. And I've I taught myself how to use it and expand on all the different types of cricket? crafts. It's a machine. It's a vinyl cutting machine. Okay. So with that, you cut vinyl that you can put on to anything. You put on posters, on shirts, mugs. All oh, that kind of stuff. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. We may have to talk after this. Uh, I was going to say, could you make a suffering podcast? Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. I I love, believe it or not, I love to sew. Oh, nice. Like, you know, like if you got to rip it. You in, lived on your own too long. You, you gotta, that's exactly yeah. what that is because that's how I know how to sew. But, to, you know, yeah. I just sit there like if you got a hole in your jeans or something, I'd sit there and I'd sew it. It, yeah. it was so peaceful to me. Now, threading a needle. Gets me absolutely out of my mind. I can't thread a needle anymore. And I, 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 I can't do it. I need a new an obscene amount of patience. I I have to get a new prescription for my glasses. Yeah. And I really can't thread a needle now. I got to get my one of my kids to do it. I'm like, here, take care of this for me, buddy. I mean, you, you close your eye and you're like this, holding it up to the light. I can't do it anymore. So, just, yeah. so do you remember when you were going through your darkest times, Mike? Things that gave you a little bit of peace. Yes, exactly. And they're hobbies. Yeah. You know, a craft is a hobby in, mm-hmm. in essence. And and me, like I try to teach myself everything. I taught myself how to plate braid. Okay. You don't nice. use plate braiding for anything else but bull whips. And I got two of them. <laughs> yeah. I taught myself how to how to forge metal. I taught myself how to make moonshine, which at the time wasn't a good idea. <laughs> um, and it didn't last very long. I know Rory's a big moonshine guy. <laughs> Um, it like did, an even spam a lot shaking his head at you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's kind of like it's kind of like a, an arsonist yeah. uh, building his own matches. Yeah, it's yeah. really really bad. But it gives you some peace. It calms you down. Mm-hmm. Were you always crafty growing up? Yeah, I think my mother's side of the family. It's where all the artistic talent is. Uh, they play instruments. They sing. Uh, they bake. Uh, they do all the other crafts before cricket came into the world. Um, so it kind of got passed down to me and my mom being a single mother of, of three girls, like she always was trying to push crafts with us to keep us busy, um, but also to expand that creativity. So yeah, growing up, I did any little craft that I could get my hand on and, and baking from scratch I used to be. Was it to keep you busy or to shut you up? <laughs> both. <laughs> Definitely both. But my mom, yeah, both. Keep us busy. But that's the cool thing about my kids. Like I'm, I'm, I'm very sports-minded, but I'm also very creative. Right. My youngest is ultra-creative. He's good at sports. Yeah. My oldest is really good at sports, and he does like to create. Like, I like to cook. I like to just whatever – I, whatever I find interesting, I'll always try to figure it out. And what I it, – it occupies me mm-hmm. pretty much. It occupies my mind because my mind has a tendency – like, it's, it's a Jackson Pollock painting up here. Yeah. And that sort of focused me. It's a melting pot. It is. Yeah. It's bad. It's, it's a Salvador Dali painting. Yeah. So if you ever try and meditate, it's hard to quiet the mind. Yeah. Well, I do meditate every day. Yeah. But in crafts, there's nothing going on in my mind. Right. Like, it's just that it's kind of like a meditation. But outside of that, like you said. It's- but it's cool. Karen, <laughs> believe me, there's nothing going on in Kevin's mind either. <laughs> <laughs> so meditation is an interesting thing because I'm, I'm a person of extremes. Yeah. So I either meditate in extremely hot sauna, steam. Or go and now now's my favorite time because I go out in the cold. Wow. Because once you break concentration, you either get hot or cold. Right. And that's how I know it's not working. Right. And I gotta refocus and really concentrate on my breathing. So where'd you grow up? Um, a little bit of everywhere. I was born in uh Harlem. I uh, lived there for a small part of my life. I lived in Queens Village, uh Bushwick, Brooklyn, um, uptown Manhattan, almost every borough, I think, but Staten Island. <laughs> So let's Jamaica. just say you grew up in New York. Yeah. All <laughs> New around York New York. Yeah. And um, 
so you were born in in Harlem. Mm-hmm. Was it the hospital in Harlem or did you live in Harlem? Both. Uh, so born in Mount Sinai, Harlem, and then lived on 108th Street. I think that's where Charlie Cifarelli, Cifarelli was born. Mount Sinai. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I believe where, so. I think that's where he was born. Nice. And uh, so you've always had this love for the city. Yeah, I did. Growing up, I mean, a lot of people don't let their kids like go on the train very young, but I was like nine, ten years old, taking the street, the train, the six train up to Harlem to go visit my family by myself. <laughs> so, and your parents were okay with that? Yeah, I mean, my mom was a single mom. She worked a lot. Um, she did train us very young to be very responsible. I mean, since I was in the third grade, we were, and my sister was in second grade, we were walking to school by ourselves. So she didn't really have the choice. Like we had to grow up a little bit faster than normal. And uh, taking the trips to Harlem was growing up even faster. <laughs> Is your mother still with us? Yes. So do you ever speak to her? It's like, mom, what were you thinking? You let me walk the streets of the city alone. Yeah. I mean, the way my family grew up, it was kind of like, all the kids grew up fast and it was just like, let them, let them learn. And I, you know, it's, it's crazy. Cause I look at where the world is now. And back then me being eight, nine, 10, taking the train to Harlem, I never felt not safe. That's because you grew up there. Okay. That's a yeah. big thing. So if I drive into say Newark, mm-hmm. um, there are places in Newark that I do not feel safe. Yeah. All right. I'm always on edge. I'm always on, but take me into Atlantic city. There is nowhere in Atlantic city that Everybody's like, oh, it's, a, it's a horrible place. I'm like, it's just Atlantic City. It's always been bad. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it gives you world skills. Mm. You yeah. Know, or, Situational or, or, awareness. Yeah, exactly. So like kids today, they're, they're playing, you know, they're on social media all day or just playing video games or anything. They're not going to have situational awareness, like you said. Yeah. So that, that's an interesting lifestyle. So your playground was the biggest city in the world. Yeah. The concrete jungle. The concrete jungle. Yeah. You know, that's the, the, the stuff of uh, Alicia Keys songs. Yeah. <laughs> Um, now, as you moved on, did you have any drive to go in any direction? Did you did you figure out what you wanted to do early? Kind of. I knew I wanted to help somebody or be, being in the helping career um, to anybody. So I didn't know which direction at the time. And then I was like, well, I really like kids and I kind of like the medical field. And then someone's like, well, why don't you be a pediatrician? And I'm like, oh, that's kind of kills two birds with one stone, right? So... Um, I'm good with school, but I, I kind of like got a little ADD, right? So it's hard to stay focused. <laughs> so um, I'm really good with hands-on learning. So that's when I was like, you know what? Maybe I can go take the EMT course. I could be in the medical field um, and then learn things behind closed doors while I continue that journey to become a pediatrician at the time. Uh, so that's kind of what I started to do. And then uh, going through that journey, I spoke to a lot of nurses, a lot of doctors and like, don't you want to be like a mom one day? Like, don't don't sell your, your whole life to being a doctor. You know, you, you give up a lot of freedom. Why don't you become a nurse or a nurse practitioner or a PA? Like, if you want to go for the doctor, go for it. But you give up so much of your life. You know, it's a big sacrifice. And so I thought about that. And because I have so much uh, connection and, and love for my family and always wanting to be around them, I'm like, well, I really wouldn't want to sacrifice that big chunk of my life. So I'm like, all right, let me figure something else out. So then I was like, I'll be a nurse practitioner. And uh, still not bad, not bad, not bad at all. And then I, um, I upgraded to paramedic. I loved working um, 
in the field. I kind of got a little comfortable there. I was still taking my classes, but very, very, very slowly. Uh, and then uh, I took a break to try and regroup financially. And then there just became more barriers in between. And I was like, well, it's not a bad gig working in the street. You know, I'm still in the medical field. I'm so still you, helping you, people. You were riding the bus at the time? Yeah. 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 So, so. See some nasty stuff going on in the city. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Seen it all. Yeah. That's the best place to get like a big variety of, of calls, you know? Hands on training, like you said. Exactly. <laughs> and your first year guaranteed every DOA you had was on the toilet. Some. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And, 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 and naked. And naked. Yeah. yeah. You, you yeah. don't, you go out of this world most of the, the way you came naked. in. Yeah. You go, you go out. Shitting in your pants, and you, <laughs> I, I was you come in shitting in your pants, and you go out yeah. shitting in your pants. I was just telling somebody a story that up, like my first year on the job, every per every DOA I had was on the toilet. It was almost like comedy because they're like, "Oh, they're on the toilet." Oh, I guess they're dead. They're done. Yeah. So we we go to this call, and it's like, "Where's your wife?" Oh, she's on the toilet. I'm like, "Oh." God, here we go. Yeah. I walk up there and she's in diabetic shock. She's not dead, but she is in mid stride of going to the bathroom. And oh, it was not, and she was a big gal. Yeah. And it was not pleasant. Yeah. And I had a sergeant walk in with, he was training somebody on FTO and he goes, Oh, Donaldson, open the window. You get, get in there. And he goes and runs downstairs and she's like, we're not even there. Wow. Like we're not even there. And I think she had chili the night before. <laughs> it was so yeah, Smells are, are really, well, they were really hard for me. I still can't smell, but. Um, you're lucky if you're going to continue yeah. with being a paramedic. Yeah. yeah. Before, I mean, any little smell and I'm just. Yeah. <laughs> I always said the, the worst smell to me is like the, the two week unattended death. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're, they're pretty That's oh, the God, first time is... I almost actually threw up. That is the worst. Well, yeah. well, on that job, what is, I'm going to pose this question to everybody here. What is the worst smell? The, the DOA that's been there. Or is that the one thing that would make you actively vomit? Yeah. I've yeah. had two. I've had one inside the house and one in an <clears throat> autopsy that was actually green like the Incredible Hulk. His skin was like the Incredible yeah. Hulk. It was like did somebody paint him green? It was just the bacteria. And mm -hmm. he was so bloated. And when she finally popped the, you know, to get inside and all that came out, yeah. I had to leave. But there's a trick. For anybody out there in the field, if you just, I started carrying uh, Vicks. Vicks vapor rub. Peppermint's always right? worked. Yeah. Right on your nose. I used to have to go to a lot of autopsies. Yeah. And peppermint's always worked well for me. Yeah. But at the point, like, I, they never bothered me because I saw them as a science experiment. I was able to separate their humanity. Yeah. From them. them. It's just, a, it's a science experiment. Okay. Yeah. Look, their rib cages, you know, you, you you forget that they used to be human. Mike, is there anything that you, that made you actively vomit or come close? You step in dog shit on the way to the call. Really? <laughs> I, I can't say it. But no, seriously, the, the unattended death and yeah. autopsies. I mean, yeah. autopsy. One of the first unattended deaths I went on, somebody went to mistake number one, step over the body. They hit the body and the body. Ooh. Maggots were Ooh. coming out of the body. Nice. I'm like, oh. oh. <laughs> My, I always got it when somebody was thrown up. I cannot handle somebody throwing up around me. <laughs> You're is it the too. sound or the smell? I think it's the sound. Yeah. It's the sound of somebody. Th I will immediately start dry heaving. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a poor guy and he was sick as a dog and he's throwing up. Yeah. And the, the, my, my partner's in front of him. He's got a bucket in front of him and he's, and I'm behind him and I'm trying not to make a noise. I'm like, it was so bad. I never actually vomited, though. Yeah. Even, even when they cut, I, I've made people vomit yeah. in autopsies. <laughs> How'd you do that? I started eating when they cut into the bowel tract. 
Oh god. Cuz I it didn't bother me. So I just I would I would bring I would do it purposely cuz I thought it was funny. Yeah. And I would bring uh you know meanwhile you're somebody's loved one's dead but <laughs> yeah. just so I started a different mindset for um, yeah, emergency personnel. I would eat crackers or yeah. whatever I had. I'd take out a sandwich or something and I'd start eating it in front of them, looking over the body with the sandwich and stuff. And you'd see people in the back of <laughs> <laughs> the guy I used to work with said the one thing he couldn't handle was shit out of water. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did step in human shit and that that, that uh, screwed yeah. me up psychologically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah without doubt. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had dogs my whole life, so yeah. I've stepped in it millions of times. Right. The one time I stepped in human yeah. shit that I know of, I had to throw away my shoes. No matter how much yeah. bleach I walked through, water, wet grass, didn't matter. Yeah. And once, it, once that smell gets in your nose, oh, it stays there for oh, you. Yeah. 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 That you know, one DOA, I, I tell you, I, I think that's stuck in my, like, yeah. I kept in the back of my throat, in my hair. I tried to eat lunch after that, and I'm like, I just still smell it. I can't eat like this. <laughs> or, or, or the other thing is burning flesh. Have you ever gone to a, yeah. a, a like a house fire? Yeah. You know, and, and the people are, they're actually almost still on fire. Yeah. It's and a you're, very you're, weird you're smell. You're grabbing them and you're, you know, I had to pull a lady out of a house one time and I had just like dead, you know, burned skin all over my uniform. Yeah. That was just uh, never, never gets out of your nose. Yep. Pulling a body out of the Passaic River, that one was pretty bad yeah. too because the skin just peeled right off. Yeah. Yeah. Because the bacteria. Yeah. So, <laughs> What drove you? So you're in this break. How did the FDMY come into the picture for my career? Yeah, when I was in the break for school. Yeah. Well, oh, I, I mean, when did it like? When did it come in? Um, after I got my EMT certification um, in the school, they that I got in Suffolk Community College, they had uh, I think like orientation where somebody from FDMY came in, so the application was there, and I'm like, oh, why wouldn't I want to work for FDMY? It's like so much job more, in the world. Yeah. So um, I put in the application. It's such a, a long process. And I don't think I heard from them for about three years. Um, and it was it was interesting at the time because my friend who went through the course with me um, also applied for FDNY. And he applied like the last possible hour that you can. And he got called and he got into the academy before me. And I'm like... <laughs> Why right. didn't yeah? Why didn't I get in with you? Like I, I had college credits. He didn't have college credits. I'm like, what the heck? So I was behind him, and I thought I would never get in. And I kept calling when he told me the next class was going in. I kept calling the recruiter. I'm like, um, you know, I'm ready. If you're putting a class in, I'm ready because I didn't hear from them. And then the day before the class, I'm like, I called again. I left a message, and I'm like, well, I guess I didn't get in. And then I got a message, and I think somebody dropped out last minute, and they. I guess they were just like, this girl keeps calling. Just let her go in. <laughs> we're tired of hearing from yeah. her. Yeah. So that's, I think that's how I got into Persistence pays off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then when you were in there, when you were in the academy, now you're in a very serious job. Mm-hmm. And I think as when you apply for it, even, even as a police officer, it's pretty much the same thing. When you apply for it, the reality of the job doesn't hit you. Nope. No. Uh, was it, when did the reality hit you? Were you in the academy or when you got out? I would say, honestly, not until I earned my paramedic patch, which was um, about three months after I was in the field as an EMT. Um, I was also very young. I think I was 23 when I got in. Yeah, something like 22, 23. And um, being on the street as an EMT, I was only on the street for like three months or six months before I got to go into the paramedic class. And it wasn't after I became a paramedic that um, you just see your responsibility as a paramedic, um, 
Yeah, you you literally hold life and death in yeah. your hands. 100%. And if you don't take that that responsibility seriously, well, number one, you're not going to have a job for very long, but yeah. and maybe end up in jail, but it it's more than that. Yeah. Like it, if if something's going wrong, you don't have anybody to call. Yeah. You're the person they call. Yeah. Well, that, that's well, as I, an EMT. So uh, EMT, if they can't figure it out, if things start going south, they call the paramedics. Mm. But as a paramedic, you're it. Well, that's how I always say, like, when you're a cop and you go on a medical call, as soon as the EMTs get there, you're like, oh, thank, thank God. God. Yeah. Now you're an EMT. Yeah. You're on a medical call. When the paramedics get there, it's like, oh, thank when God. You, when, you're doing, the baton. <laughs> when you're doing CPR on a person in this, and it's July and the sweat's yeah. dripping off you and the EMT show up, I'm like, all right, hire medical authority. See you yeah. later. <laughs> Even though I was an EMT at the time, I'm like, well, you guys are it. I'm yeah. sorry. Tag, I, I'm, you're it. My, my back hurts or something. Yeah. It's an enormous amount of responsibility to take on, especially at 23, because if I look back when I was 23, I don't think I was ready to take on that responsibility. Yeah. Um, but did you didn't go out you so FDMY has the medical services and it has the people who go out and are crazy and run into burning buildings. Mm-hmm. You did you ever sit on a fire truck or did you just go right into the other? I don't know how uh, it works. This is ignorance. It's uh no, it's not. It a lot of people don't they don't even a lot of people don't even know the difference between uh EMTs or paramedics or sometimes they call us ambulance drivers. So um you're not ignorant when it comes to that. It's two separate unions. Um and you have to take the test for um to be a firefighter. So I used to joke, but it's probably not a, a good joke. I used to be like, I'm really good at making fires, but not, like putting them out, you know? Um, I, I have so much respect for firefighters. You have to really love your job. Like you becoming a firefighter, you putting yourself at risk, you're putting your, your fellow firefighters at risk. And then the person that you're going in to save is still at, at grave risk yeah. unless you know what you're doing. Um, so I didn't have the passion for it. I love the camaraderie part of of the firefighters. EMS doesn't really have that complete aspect yet, but firefighters do. Um, but my, I knew my heart wasn't in it, so it would be better pay. Way better pay, better camaraderie, but I didn't have the passion for it. But there, there's a reason. Firefighters are in life and death situations where you, although you are, can be exposed to a life and death situation, they're much more rare. Those constant incidents of life and death, they bond people because people become brothers and sisters in foxholes. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, like you said, it's a camaraderie. Yeah. It's a camaraderie aspect of it. Same thing in law enforcement. You're in a life or death situation. You know, you need to trust your partner. Yeah. That's why so many soldiers are so close to one another. But now I'm sure it wasn't all death and horror. I'm sure you had some fun too, because if I I already know the answer to this question, but I'm sure you, you, you said some stuff that you're glad nobody heard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I saw some stuff, I, you know, people wouldn't believe you when they say you could write a book on the things that you've seen. How many seen. people slipped and fell and accidentally fell on a Coke bottle? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> accidentally. Or, or, One in a million shot, Doc. Or the, uh, what is it, the fire pokers? Really? Yeah. Who the hell would say this is a good thing to stick up my ass? I mean... <laughs> The thing, the thing is, is maybe he thought it was a good thing to stick up, but you don't realize there's the other the hook. hook on it. <laughs> Didn't they ever go fishing? That's how you catch a fish with Guess a barb. Not. He's from the city. They don't really uh, fish. They don't <laughs> fish. <laughs> yeah. But, no, he slipped and fell. Of course he did. Yeah. Of, of course. course he did. <laughs> you know, it's a, uh, <laughs> I can't even tell that one on the air. I can't. Yeah. I can't do it. La, la, la. I can't do it. <laughs> so you go through, what, what do you think your most serious call was? Um, I mean, kids are always yeah. serious. Um, 
and it's it's kind of hard to to stay calm but for some reason being in the field for so many years you kind of gain that um practice um but you it's hard to to leave the job without taking that with you so i think when it comes to that um there's always some lingering emotion and questions if i could have done more if i could have done better um so that's I would say that's what's the hardest for me. No, there's been a lot of difficult calls and you kind of got to wrap your brain and puzzle piece a little bit. The fire poker would be number one on my list. <laughs> well, yeah, because how do you, you're not supposed to trans some, somebody face down, right? So the biggest thing is. Buns up, face down. <laughs> well, you got to. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and it's here, funny. Here, have a seat over here. Because <laughs> normally I'm a little bit more chivalrous and I wouldn't say these things, but you're a paramedic. I yeah, mean, you've heard, you've heard it all. You've seen it all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and some of the humor, but that's the way you have to cope with it. Yeah. You know, what was your, with, with, now going back to the crafts thing, mm-hmm. did you go home after work, after a difficult call and, you know, knit a sweater or <laughs> do whatever kind of craft you wanted to do? Um, you know what? No, and that probably would help um, de-stress a little bit. I was going to say, you have to have some kind of decompression. Yeah. You know, I mean, method I worked of the graveyard shifts too. So, you know, going home with the sun up probably would have been better to do some of that before I would just jump right into to sleep. But no, I didn't. I would just kind of keep that to my days off. But that would have been a good stress reliever. <laughs> did you Did you notice any personality changes because you were holding it in? Um. Yeah, I think you, you get a little bit more on edge um, and not... Not to lash out on somebody, but you're holding on to something. And there's a, they kind of grew a little bit from this, but sometimes it's like if you talk about it, you're not strong enough. Um, but I think they kind of evolved a little bit to, to not make you feel like that in the fire department. They do give you the opportunity and the resources to talk about these things, but I think it's a little bit of pride. It's like, nah, you know. I'm good. good. Well, yeah. we, we talk about it all the time, mental health issues in the first responder field. You know, yeah. you're afraid to actually say that something affects you. Yeah. Because now you're going to be labeled. Yeah. Well, you know, Is you it any easier for a woman to speak about an issue that she's having? Because I know for men it's really tough, but I obviously, you know, Mike, is it hard for women? <laughs> <laughs> um, a little late on that one, but yeah. I got it. <laughs> uh, is it is it easier for women to speak about to woman to woman or go to a professional? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think we're just more emotional beings, so it's just oh, easier I can, to. I can verify that. Yeah. Yeah. I Even it, like I mean, sometimes it's harder to speak to people that aren't in the uh, medical fields or the first responder fields. Um, so you just don't want to put like it's hard for them to take that kind of information in. But to go to other coworkers, you could talk about the call. But I think the men just kind of like. I'm good, and we don't need to talk about it. Now, did you actually go to other female uh, coworkers and talk to them about it, or no. just you just didn't? No, you just held yeah. it in. Just held yeah. it in. Yeah, that's got to be rough. Now, yeah. did you love it? I did. Yeah, you did love it. Yeah, every day is a new challenge, you know, new puzzle. But then there comes a time, and this this is a tough topic here because this is something I really, really want to talk about. Unfortunately, we can't. You at some point had to separate from the FDNY, a job that you loved, a job that you probably gave you a lot of purpose. And um, how long did you do? How long? How long were you on the FDNY? A little over 10 years. A little over 10 years, and you have to separate. Yeah. Do you want to give us a little window into to your separation? Yeah. Um, so I got terminated over policies that are still being uh, litigated. litigated. Yes. Yeah, so. What's your time frame? 
This was around two thousand when the lawsuit or when I was terminated. When you were terminated. Uh, finally terminated in 2021. So 2021, uh, our audience is full of smart people. So I'm going to let you infer to that one. And we won't go any further with that yeah. because obviously if it's current litigation, hopefully I think it's going to play itself out. Yeah. I really, really do. Um, but I, and I'm pulling for you because I am, it, it, it was a travesty. Yeah. It really was. It, it hurt my heart to hear all that stuff going on. Yeah. Um, but you're here. Yep. You know, you made it through. You held, You stuck to your values, which is a very, very rare thing in this world. Yeah. You know, you have some core values that you held on to. How hard was it to hold on to those values? I don't even know if I could describe it. I mean... You probably went back and forth. Oh, uh, yeah. that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, mentally, emotionally, I call my cousin every day. Should I just do this? Should I not? And I, I mean, every... I, I'm not even joking. I, I could show you a call, like a call log every day i called her and i'm like let me just do this i can't do it i don't want to do it i don't want to be feel forced into anything and so yeah every single day up until the day that i got terminated um was a struggle and again like just to go back what five minutes ago it, it was a job that i like begged for right it's kept calling like I'll take the next class. If somebody calls out, I'll go, you know? But that shows, that speaks to how strong your resistance was to this particular policy. Yeah. And then, so you're separated and you're left out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But the reason why we're here, because while you're separated, you have something hit you over the head like a sledgehammer. Yeah. Why don't you tell everybody what that was? And it wasn't a fire poker, was no. it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Goodness. A little PTSD with that one, right? Um, I was actually diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. So um, it's 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 so weird to go into how I even like figured it out, you know? So I, it, just a series of events. So let's go back a little bit further. So during. And you don't have health insurance at that no, point. No. No health so insurance. So that just adds another yeah. wrinkle on top of already um, difficult situations. Yeah. More drama in your life that you don't need. Yeah. So I, I um, while I'm working the streets um, during a very difficult time, um, I lost my grandmother. And five months later, I lost my cousin to suicide. A year after that, I lost my uncle, who I'm very, very close with. A month after that, I lost my job. A month, after, a month after that, I lost my best friend. So I just had this... Downward slide. Yeah. Like a what's next... Yeah. You know, what's next attitude? Yes. And, and and in that time, like, this was before I even had the diagnosis. So it's like, what do I process first? Yeah. Right. And I didn't have time to process that because I just lost my career. So it's like, I can't pay rent. I can't pay my car. Like, I'm, I can't pay my light bill. You know, every day I'm like, and, and before I was terminated, um, I was placed on leave without pay. And they told you, you can't work. Yeah. You can't yeah. even work during that. So it went uh, about four months before I was actually terminated that I wasn't allowed to work. So no income, no loggable income. Can Ooh, they really <laughs> tried to force you. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I'm behind on almost all my bills. You know, every, every time I could like babysit or bake a cake for somebody, I would put a little money here, a little money there to just not get my car repossessed, not get kicked out. Like I, I didn't need another <laughs> obstacle. So like all those um, emotional traumas like kind of got pushed on the back burner, you know, because just I was in survival mode, right. you know. Renee, you're still living in the city at this time? Mm hmm. <laughs> no job living in the city. Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. 
at <clears throat> rent of $10,000 a month, whatever yeah. the heck the rent is. Did now. you park in a garage too or in the streets? Because those garages oh, are. Thank God I was in the streets. They're uh, awfully expensive too. Yeah. yeah. But still, right, my rent was expensive. My car was expensive, which was a lease at the time. And then because I was so late on leases, they wouldn't renew my lease. So I had to finance. But because I was so late on leases, my car went up an extra like $260. I'm like, well, I couldn't even pay it at this rate. Now you're going to give me this rate. <laughs> when was the first signs that something internally wasn't right? I got sick around 2020, obviously, the way everybody else got sick. Um, and after that, I had so much issues. I kept getting these sinus infections that would just last like three months. And finally, when it would try and drain from my system, I would wake up and both my eyes would be caked shut. And I was like, do I have like double pink eye? Like I couldn't even open them, you know? So I'm like, what's going on? So and being a medical professional, it's probably working against you at this point because you kind of know what's happening. You're trying yeah. to self-diagnose. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then you don't really go to the doctor because you, you just kind of like treat yourself. But I'm like... There's something, and I and I said this from the beginning, there's something wrong with my lymphatic system, right? And why I said that, just out of the blue, it's not like I have diagnostic, diagnostic testing or anything. I'm like, my lymphatic system's not working. It's not draining properly. I keep having these, I've never had sinus infections before, and they keep coming, and they're lasting a little bit longer. So I kept having those issues. I still can't smell to this day. Um, so I have a lot of medical issues post that. So fast forward a little bit, I get some kind of uh, virus and my whole neck swells up. And when that finally goes down, I still see like a bulge on the right side. I'm like, well, that's not good, but I don't have any medical insurance, right? I can't go to the doctor. Then a couple months later, I, I feel another nodule and I'm like, that's not good. And uh, just to tap in a little bit to my spiritual side, um, I see, I get a lot of messages from spiritual people from loved ones that passed um mainly my dream i don't see anybody walking around here <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, just let me know if there's <laughs> let me know if there's anybody behind us yeah no not like that for me um so i had two dreams and the first dream um in the dream i was talking to my cousin i'm very close with and i'm like hey i have cancer and she was like who says it like that and i'm like that's okay i have cancer and then the second dream was my foster mother if we could go back into that if you want later. Um, and she had cancer. And she said, I only want you to treat me. And I'm like, but I don't know what I'm doing. She's like, I only want you to treat me holistically. And I was like, okay, but I don't know what I'm going to do. And I did in the dream, and I cured her of her cancer. And so when I felt that second nodule, I said in my head, I'm like, that's cancer. And so when I lost my second job... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole nother episode. Yeah. So when I lost my second job, um, I applied for Medicaid and I went straight to the cancer and blood specialist. And I was like, this is going to sound crazy, but I have cancer. And uh, he's like, all right, let's do the testing and came back cancer in my lymphatic system. So what was that gut shot? like? <laughs> you know what? I think maybe because of the spirituality and kind of where I was, I, I wasn't, I wasn't shocked. It's, it's kind of like I knew you were just confirming what, what you already know. Yeah. And, uh, so I literally just sat there and I was like, okay, what's the next steps? And so he told me what he wanted to do with Western medicine, put a port, do chemo. And I was like, all right, well we had to set up for the, um, 
lymphectomy to take it out to get a full diagnosis. And in that time, I started I started researching um, like all the people that did holistic care. And I started researching people's journeys that um, did Western medicine. And when I watched the journeys of people with Western medicine, I would just cry. And, you know, I'm like, cancer's not easy. You know, they feel sick. They look sick. Um, they're just down in spirits. And then when I looked at the holistic journey, I'm like, these people get to keep their health and they're healing their cancer. And so, like, that opened the door and I started doing more and more and more research. And um, I found a really good clinic that I hope I can make it to to do the treatment for that instead of if I don't have to do chemo. So radiation, and I'm, I'm throwing stuff off the top of my head because I don't know this for sure, but I believe radiation was invented somewhere or brought to prominence somewhere in the 1830s. And then chemo, I think, is the 1920s, if I'm not mistaken. So take chemo, for instance. 100 years we've had chemo. Mm-hmm. Almost 200 years we've had radiation. Yet we still have a cancer issue. Yeah, exactly. So I know there's there's <clears throat> obvious advances in in radiation and chemo, but <clears throat> it's it doesn't seem to. I have my own theories that it doesn't seem to be working. Yeah. It just seems to be prolonging uh, because the cancer survival rate hasn't changed all that much. Mm-hmm. I know you know the only way to do it is cut the cancer out. Yeah. You know, in everyday life, not just cancer itself, but with everything, you cut the cancer out and. That's how you heal, but I have my old my own theory about cancer. But yeah, I, yeah I'm well, not going to get into the money. We'll 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 talk after this. Yeah. <laughs> I I hate to say it. I'm not a tinfoil hat wearer, right. but I I mean something that's been around for 200 years. If it worked, it would have worked by now. Exactly. Yeah. But how about the common cold? Yeah, they can't cure the common cold. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you look like just having a medical background, something that we were taught. Day one in medical school, right, is what they say to us is don't treat the monitor, the monitor that we carry, that we could see the heart rate, the oxygen, um, the waveform for their breathing. Don't treat that. Treat the person and find the root cause. That's drilled into us from day one. So if you look at something like chemo, it doesn't get to the root cause of people's cancer. And it doesn't even kill the cancer stem cells. So you could remove tumors and you could do chemo and radiation, but it doesn't actually kill those cancer stem it shrinks cells. Shrinks them, right? It doesn't kill. It doesn't do anything to them. So you can. It can shrink tumors, but it's not going to kill those uh, cancer stem cells. Everybody has cancer cells in them. Doesn't mean that it can evolve to cancer. But people have been telling me I've been a cancer my whole life. <laughs> I think I told you the that yesterday. Scope? <laughs> no, no, I'm a, I'm a legitimate cancer on some people's lives. Yeah. Um, just talk to my wife. She'll tell you. <laughs> uh, did it, you you got to be hopeless at this point. Like, like what am I going to do? I, obviously, I don't believe that this is the path I want to take with traditional Western medicine. Holistic is, you know, you're, it's a crapshoot with holistic mm-hmm. stuff. You know, yeah. I, I remember, um, I don't know if you ever saw Man on the Moon about Andy Kaufman. He was going down to South America. He had cancer, and he, yeah. he's going down to South America, and he's watching these witch doctors take chicken livers and act like they're taking it out of people, and these people believed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, at what point, like, do, what do you grab onto at this point? Yeah, so the thing with my cancer is they say it's, quote, unquote, the most curable. 
If this is the cancer you're going to have, you should have this one. Yeah, the good cancer. The yeah, good you cancer. have the good yeah. cancer. You have the good cancer. Um, so you'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> with that, I, I guess I kind of feel like I have the luxury of of time and and room to play with, right? So, and you're young, which is working yeah. for you. So, I have a little bit of that, but then. Going into this experience of um, going to Holistic, I actually spoke to two different people who have remarkable stories. One girl was diagnosed stage four terminal brain cancer that metastasized to her breast, her liver. The doctor told her she had, I don't want to give the wrong time frame, but three to six months, let's say, to live. Um, and he wouldn't do chemo because it wasn't going to work for her. And so she had a little bit of a pity party and she cried. She's like, I guess I'm going to die. And she accepted it. And then she woke up one day and she's like, no, this is not the end of my life. And so she found these different holistic therapies that she could do. She did find a doctor to give her a combo of a, a low-dose chemo. She is cancer-free this wow. day, walking around for years. That's crazy. So you say holistic, and it's a very broad term. Right. Uh, when you talk about holistic treatments for your particular type of cancer, mm -hmm. what are you talking about? So specifically for the clinic I want to go to, they have like seven key principles that they, they go by. So it's non-toxic cancer treatments. So just one of, one of the many therapies that they do, just to give an example, is they give you a non-toxic pill that um, attaches to your cancer cells and causes them to be sensitive to light and sound. And if you have tumors that are visible, they can emit light to that one. If you have more deep, they can follow a catheter directly up to that tumor and then emit light or sound to start to shrink it. But their seven key principles are non-toxic cancer treatments, <clears throat> spirituality, um, immunotherapy, oxygenation, detoxification, um, nutrition, and then restoring gut, mi gut microbiome. So they have all these different things that they dive into. And it's interesting because something that Western doctors won't ask you but holistic doctors would is why do you think you have cancer? And that question is like, kind of hits you, right? I was going to say that's a smack in the face question. Yeah, because, because Western you... doctors are going to say, not your fault. You didn't do anything to get this. If you have anybody in your family, they're going to blame it on your genetics. If you don't, they're just going to say it happens to anybody. Luck of the draw. Go eat ice cream. The the. The men in my family, so it's funny you said it, because the men in my family die in their early 80s, the majority of them, of cancer. Like, that's the Irish background. Mm -hmm. It's usually skin cancer that gets us. But um, they die. So I've kind of accepted that growing up. Like, I'm 49 now, so, you know, I got I got 30 years left. I'm all right. I can make it to my 80s. Yeah, I can make it to my 80s. I'm good with that. I'm yeah. okay with that. But um, have, have – I've – I've done research on cancer treatments. Um, they pull the oil from the cannabis. Mm -hmm. I have a friend of mine. Uh, his name's Lee Whitley. Lee Whitley at one time was one of the biggest drug dealers in the United States. He got caught taking 30 tons, tons of marijuana over the border. So he's no longer, wow. he, he's no longer allowed in the United States. <laughs> he's in Canada. But he administers those, the oil derivatives. Yeah. And I was talking to him. And I asked him, you know, because there's always side effects, you know, including diarrhea, which is the di is the side effect of every medication. Yeah. <laughs> um, I asked him, I said, so what's the side effects of this? And he had told me, he goes, you're going to get high as shit. <laughs> uh, you're going to laugh. But his you're going to get the munchies. Yep. <laughs> but his success rate is remarkable. Yeah. And he's willing to give it away. Like yeah. give the treatment away. He wants people to, he wants to try to eradicate cancer. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, which is counterintuitive to the Western medical field. It's give me money, 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 and, exactly. and you'll be cured. Yeah. So Of that cancer. Of that and cancer. And then you get another Until one. you get another one, yeah. So where is this treatment that you got to go get? This one is in Mexico. Okay. He has, uh, this doctor has two clinics. Um, one is, one's more if you're like more sick and the other one is if you're. It's not Ibucaine or ayahuasca, is it? No, but I did do ayahuasca before. Oh. <laughs> We're going to talk afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. DMT, ayahuasca. Yeah, I just, I was that's just a, talking. That's what Aaron yeah. Rodgers did, ayahuasca, right? So, did he? Yeah, I believe I it. wouldn't surprise me. But I, I was just, so one of the guys on Instagram live tonight, he was a um, St. Croix, Wisconsin officer. Okay. And he is, he got terminated by his own fault. He admits it, but he went down and did the DMT and, um, I think he did, uh, ayahuasca and he said it was a life-changing experience. Yeah. It's like a thousand therapy sessions in one, you know, and it, it's, it's hard. It's not an easy thing. You face so many, so many things in your past and your present. Um, next week's suffering podcast will be in Mexico. Let's go. <laughs> and an yeah. ayahuasca clinic. <laughs> we licking toads and shit. Um, so you got to go, you got to head down to Mexico. And obviously, do you, are you working now? No. You're not working. So you're unemployed. Mm -hmm. So there's your roadblock. Mm -hmm. So. And it's a long walk from here too. Yeah. How do you, <laughs> how are, what, what's your plan on trying to get down there? Um, we've been fundraising. Uh, I have a couple of friends that are trying to help push that um I we'll put give a, your fundraising opportunities out let's yeah let's, so i have a gofundme um it's not very favorable favorable to people but i have other options so my gofundme is with my name that's karen rosado it's c-a-r-i-n-r-o-s-a-d-o and then i do have my zell and vamo linked to my email which is my first and last name at gmail um we'll put up a lower third right below you you'll see it during the episode when this airs you'll be right yeah. there just go like this yeah just go like this and andrew will there make the go. magic happen there right you go right there <laughs> c-a-r-i-n yeah karin if you cuddle the r yeah yeah so i have those options for people that don't want to donate to gofundme but it, now you, you obviously hold a lot of hope for this treatment yeah okay so let me ask this question. I know it's going to be a difficult question for yeah. you. Let's say you go down there, you're able to get down there to get the treatment and mm -hmm. it doesn't work. Yeah. What now? I was very well aware that that's a possibility. And I said, you know, at, at the very least, this can at least help my immune system to be able to handle something like chemo. Or maybe it regresses me to stage two, which is a different form of treatment. What stage later. are you now? Three. You're at stage three. Now, I'm, I'm, I was a little bit ignorant of... Non-Hodgkin's, Hodgkin's lymphoma, mm -hmm. and stuff like this. Is it possible for your body to fight this mm -hmm. on its own without medication? Yep. So it is. Your body could eradicate it on its own. Mm -hmm. Because lymphoma is not anything new. No. It's been around for millions of years, probably. No. And it's interesting because the differential diagnosis for Hodgkin's lymphoma is um, people who are HIV positive or have um, it's a... Epstein-Barr, which both are, I have negative on both of those. Um, but what's interesting is when I got sick with that virus back in 2022, which is a virus, was the cascade of a lot of my medical issues. But nobody wants to look into the correlation with that. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. And correlation is not causation. I'm not saying it, it completely caused, but I, I, I would say it set me up. But you're looking at it from a medical field, too. And you're seeing, I'm, I'm sure you've seen enough people pass for cancer. Yep. And did you ever lose hope at all? Yeah. 
it was just one day when I, I spoke to my sister one day and she kind of was like, this is a scam. And she's like, you're going to die. And she your did, sister told you yeah. it was going to die. Wow. Yeah. And Thanks, I was sis. just like, yeah, I'm like, you're not doing the right research, but whatever. And then a few months, a few hours later, my cousin called me. I tried to vent with her and she calls me back. She's like, well, I was looking into what she said and this. And so she kind of jumped on that bandwagon. And then a really good friend of mine who I really trusted in the medical field. I spoke to him and the minute I mentioned uh, holistic care, I mean, he just dug into me. You know, he told me the reason why it's only 95% curable is because the other 5% mess around in Mexico and die. And like, he just, I mean, really rammed it into me. And I think that was the hardest I've ever cried um, since I got the diagnosis. Rory, why'd you do that to her? Yeah, that's not <laughs> yeah, cool. That's not nice. That's really not cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's why he's not allowed in here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're in timeout. Yeah. He's uh, sitting in that cell over there with, with Andrew. <laughs> but it's amazing the the advancements in quote unquote, uh, you, let's call it what it is, hippie medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody thinks it's hippie medicine. Yeah. Psychedelic. Yeah. <laughs> so I've recently got into doing cryotherapy. Nice. So it's hard. Cryotherapy. I love it. Yeah. I absolutely, and I bring my kids. I bring my, wow. my son. My, they're football players and, you mm-hmm. know, they get bumps and bruises and stuff. The kids on my team, you know, somebody, so when I saw the benefits of cryotherapy, like I got out of there feeling like Superman, mm-hmm. I slept amazing. All it does is just freeze you. Yeah. So we had one, our quarterback hurt his shoulder. I said, okay, take him to cryotherapy. He's 13, right? Yeah. No, no. He's, I'm like, he's 13, yeah. right? <laughs> and he went there after cryotherapy. He wasn't allowed, He wasn't able to throw like he normally throws, but he went from not being able to lift his arm up to here. To hear. Right. Or you have the harmonic egg from Abundant Healing. I went in and sat in a harmonic egg. Yeah. And that, you want to talk about hippie medicine. That yeah. is true hippie medicine. Yeah. But I loved it. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. Again, slept really, really good, very peaceful, quieted my mind a little bit, salt therapy. I'm well aware of that stuff. And as much as I am resistant, my conservative mind is resistant to that stuff, there's truth to it. There's yeah. benefit to it. Yeah. And I think people lack the patience. And you go back to your roots and that type of treatment and care, it's a longer process. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. And people people don't want to do the the deep change. So if you do chemo or radiation, you don't have to change anything, right? Go home and eat ice cream. Go home and have candy. You don't have to change your diet. You know, go go do uh you don't have to do any inner work or spirituality or look at yourself in the mirror and say, Let's face these traumas that you haven't faced. Face the Suffering. The suffering. suffering. Yes. You don't have to heal any of that. Continue to have those toxic, you know, things lingering in your body and just do chemo and it kills the good and the bad cells. Right. You know? Right. So anything good that's keeping you alive is now dead. But, you know, the bad stuff's dead, too. So you're all right. You're all right. But, I mean, you see some of these people that are on chemo, too, you know, losing their hair and... That was a big thing for me, especially because I'm a redhead. We're going extinct, guys. Like, <laughs> Wait, so you're half Puerto Rican with a redhead. Yeah. What's going on here? What's the other half? Is it Irish? Part Irish, part German. There you go. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, at least you're a good half. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> so where can so, I... So what are you saying about losing hair? I mean, you know, I'm getting offended by this now. Well, you did have cancer. Yeah. Sitting right next to me. Yeah. <laughs> I told you. I've been a cancer in a lot of people's lives. I told you this. I'm not shy about it. Yeah. So where can our audience find you? And I also want you to give out those links to your GoFundMe and your email. And I wanted you to give out all that stuff as well. Yeah. So I'm on social media 
not so much Facebook, but I do have it. Um, Instagram, Facebook, social media is uh, with my name, Karen Rosado. You could watch my journey through this. Um, my Zelle and Venmo is with my email, or you could just send, and maybe you have advice or you have treatments that you know of if there's anybody out there. So you could just send me messages or you could, if you can donate, it's linked with my email as well. And then the GoFundMe, um, you could also search with my name. Was it Karen Rosado at gmail.com? Yes. Mm-hmm. So we're coming to the end of this thing here. And you've you fought one battle after another. It's yeah. kind of like a Amanda Coleman type situation. Yeah, no <laughs> but you have a remarkable attitude to you. Yeah. Yeah, you really do. I mean, that's amazing. Thank you. you. You've had a smile on your face the entire time. Yeah. But you've had to learn something. She's looking at these faces. How could you not? I'm surprised you didn't start. Yeah. <laughs> what made you throw up? Your faces. Uh, and you've gone through all this amount of suffering. It's had to teach you something. Yeah. So what do you think your suffering has taught you? I think when you're going through suffering, it's very easy to go down a rabbit hole of negativity and say, why me? Why me? And... I had maybe 24 hours of that. Why me? Why did I get cancer? I thought I've, you know, ate good and exercised. Um, And then that changed to why not me? Yeah, exactly. You know, I think there's a time for everything. And I think the way the world is going now, why not somebody like me to be able to handle something like this, even in my family, to show them that there's alternate ways to healing, you know? And it it just, after having a little bit of doubt, it kind of taught me to just stay true to myself, go back to my core values, you know? So if you want to talk a little bit about uh, the spirituality after that downfall of the, uh, all that negativity with friends, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was pregnant and getting ready to give birth. And pregnancy in a dream symbolizes new life, new journey. And um, everybody surrounding me was like, Karen, just just lay down, just give birth here, just do it. And so I ran away and I ran away to the woods. <laughs> And I gave birth by myself in the woods. And uh, when I was ready, I came back with the baby and I just said to everybody, I'm sorry, I just had to do it my way. And so that kind of just brought me back. Like, I got to do this my way, guys. You know, you know, did it his way. (laughs) (laughs) Frank Sinatra. And Usher. Yeah, but but I wouldn't sleep. I wouldn't sleep with Frank Sinatra. (laughs) I can't thank you enough for coming in here. And talking about this because you are what this show is all about. It's overcoming adversity. You know, yeah. you're overcoming things. Uh, you're succeeding in the face of enormous adversity, overcoming unbelievable odds that would make most people lie down and just die. Yeah. And I'm proud of you. I'm pulling for you. And we're going to try to pull some resources in order to try to get you to the treatment that is best suited for you. Thank you. And, um, and then you're going to come back when you're cancer-free, right? Absolutely. I can't I, I, wait to tell you. <laughs> I, I think your positive attitude is going to work wonders for you. Yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, you're so you're such a vibrant person. You have such a great outlook on it. Yeah. And I think that's that's the number one thing in fighting yeah. this. The power of the mind. And you have it. Yeah. That's why I have no power. <laughs> you got no mind. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having Absolute me. Absolute pleasure meeting you. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this episode of The Suffering Podcast, The Suffering of Lymphoma with Karen Rosado. And let's think about all the stuff that we learned. Quieting the mind comes in many forms. Fire pokers. Mm-hmm. Fire pokers. <laughs> Fire pokers. <laughs> Say that three times, please. <clears throat> you got to put in the work. Sometimes you just got to say, why not me? But yeah. most importantly, just do it your way.
Yeah. That's going to do it for this episode. Go to popple.com for a digital business card. Put in the code TSP20 for 20% discount. Follow us on all social media. That's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, OnlyFans. OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> follow Mike at Mike underscore Felice. Follow me at Real Kevin Donaldson. And of course, follow the Suffering Podcast. If you like what you're seeing, ring the bell, hit the like button, please comment and subscribe. And we're going to see you on the next episode. 